Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. And, and here's the question that we're going to be answering this morning. It's a, it's a heavy question. In fact, I believe it's probably one of the heaviest questions that we're actually going through in this series. And, and the question is this, is how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm saved? Just to make it even and put it on an even playing field, basically the question is this, is how, how do I know I'm going to heaven? Like how do I know that my eternity is secure? You know, and this is a question that I believe that everyone on the spiritual journey is asking. Like, whether you've been walking with the Lord for 10 to 15 years, this is a question that we've answered. Or this is a question that, that, that we've been asking. Or, or maybe you've been walking with the Lord for five months or five days. I believe that this is a question that we're asking. You know, just last week during service, after actually, somebody came up to me and they were like, Mike, like, do I lose my salvation? Like, can I lose what God has done for me? So obviously, this is an important question that's worth asking. And to do this, we're going to take a look at the Bible. Right, because what we believe at the, is this, is the Bible is the only thing that has the ability to change any life. Right, we believe in the power of God's word. So today we're going to be looking, taking a look at the Bible in Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, I really believe that the writer of this letter lays out four things that we need to know that ensure us that our salvation is secure. He also does a good job at letting us know whether or not we are saved. So it's going to be a fun time. You guys ready to read? Let's do this. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 and it reads like this. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of who is now at work at those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I think that's good enough to just close our Bibles and go home, but we're going to have some fun. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your grace, God. And today as we unpack this scripture, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would, that you would say what you want to say this morning. Father, we know that there's people that are asking all kinds of questions, wanting to know where does their eternity lie. So, Father, we ask right now that you would begin to open hearts, that you would begin to open minds, that you would begin to open ears, God. Father, I pray that today lives would be changed and that people would encounter your saving grace. And it's in Jesus' name, all of God's people said. Amen. Come on, all of God's people said. Amen. Come on, if you love Jesus, can you make some noise this morning? Amen and amen. You know, I, I got to be honest with you. For me, my wife and I, we, we moved to Kendall about a year and a half ago. And moving to Kendall, for me, it, it's a very, like, surreal experience. But, but you got to understand why. Like, you're probably thinking, Mike, Kendall is not Star Island. It's not Fisher Island. But for me, like, 
Like, I'm thankful that I live in Kendall. Like, let, me, let me tell you why, right? Like, when I was a kid, I thought Kendall was like a million miles away, which it kind of was from where I lived. Right, like Kendall had the Metro Zoo. So like I was like, man, like Kendall for me was a dream. Kendall was so far that I thought Kendall had Disney World. So as a kid, I would be six or seven and I would hear about this place called Kendall and I would desire and think, God, one day take me to Kendall. <laughs> but let me, let me tell you why. Because you see, I was born in North Shore Hospital and North Shore Hospital is located in a small little city called West Little River. Now, West Little River is located in between Opelika and Liberty City. You see, back then, West Little River was called the hood. <laughs> oh, you're laughing because you don't think I'm gangster, but I am. <laughs> I'll make it rain. Well, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> but it was, it was known as the hood. So back then, like, crime rate was extremely high, right? Like, the poverty rate was, was extremely low. Like, I remember in West Little River being 7, 8, 9, and when I go to bed at 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night, gunshots were a common thing that I would hear in my neighborhood. I remember in West Little River walking into my home twice and my mom in tears because our house was broken into twice. You see, we were that kind of house that had bars on the windows. Have you ever seen that house, those kind of houses before? I remember being six years old and the moon shining through the window and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm in prison. This is... Right, like, like this, is, this is what I thought about living in West Little River. You know, West Little River, I, I, I had some pretty vivid memories of what happened. You see, because in West Little River is where I experienced domestic abuse for the first time in my home as I witnessed my dad physically abuse my mom. West Little River was the place where I remember being in elementary school and having a stack of papers that I had to personally deliver to my elementary school with pictures of my dad saying, this guy is not allowed to be in here because he's a danger and a threat. Now, I remember in West Little River, it was a place where I've seen my dad incarcerated a number of times. So when my wife and I moved to Kendall, boy, we were leaving the dream. We can walk to parks. We can sleep at night. No bars on windows. I mean, I'm hardcore. I'll protect my wife. You know, I come from the streets. <laughs> or the streets. But for me, living in Kendall, it, it was... It was a dream. I, I love it. You know, you know what I think? I think it's important to remember where you came from. You know, I think if you don't remember where you came from, it, it can be very difficult to know who you are. Like, I really don't think people don't know who they are if they're not really remembering their story and where they came from. Your story is powerful, you know. Where Jesus took you out of, it matters. What God has done in your life, it matters. God has done incredible things in our life. Come on, can we give him praise this morning for that? God is, he's taken us out of some, he's taken us out of some crazy, crazy stuff where you came from. When it comes to this, this, this word salvation, right, that we're really going to uncover, I believe that there's three groups of people in here, right? So there's that person who has been walking with Jesus for a while, and you understand that your eternity is secure in Jesus, Right, like you understand that you're saved. Right, then that's that other person who, who maybe just started walking with the Lord and you're unsure if you're saved and going to heaven. But then I believe there's the other group of people who, who you really don't have a relationship with God. You're trying to figure out if this God thing is real and you also are unsure whether you're saved or not, whether you have a space in eternity. 
Now, before I go any further, let, let's talk about salvation for a second, right? Because like you, I have some friends that don't walk with Jesus. I have some friends that are unsaved. Now, what does this word unsaved, like what does this word saved really mean? Because in conversation with my friends who don't know Jesus or don't go to church, sometimes I would say things like, well, Jesus is my savior. He has saved me from sin. He, he wants to save you too. And as to that, they would reply, save me from what? Well, what do you mean I need saving? Like, life is, life is good, man. Like, I'm a pretty moral guy. Like, I'm in one romantic relationship. We live together. We're not married, but it's just one romantic relationship. Like, like life is good. I only cuss sometimes. Like, but aside from that, Mike, bro, I don't need saving. Saving from what? Like, I'm a moral dude. Like, life is good. What do I need saving from? So in the letter that we just read, Ephesians, the Apostle Paul begins to answer this question. You see, the Paul, he finds it extremely important to remind them of where they came from in order to understand that they are indeed saved. So Paul is extremely, like, he's extremely excited to tell them, hey, I want you to know that this is the saved you. I'm going to give you four qualities that you know that you are saved. But before I do that, Paul is incredibly eager to say, but this is where you came from. He's almost taking like one huge giant breath. Like he's, you ever met someone who is so like incredibly eager to tell you something? Like every time my wife comes back from school, she has a long list of things that she wants to tell me. Mike, today I saw this client and Mike, today I did this. Like she's just eager to release this. And this is the same attitude that Paul has. He's eager to help you understand your old life where you can understand your new life. So then this is what the apostle Paul says. And I want you to know that, that the language that he uses is slightly offensive. Like some of us may get offended. Is that okay? Like, like that just might happen in a second because the language that the Apostle Paul uses right now to unpack who you were before or who you currently are is really blunt and crazy language. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. They're going to put it up on the screens and it reads like this. It says, did it put it up on the screens? No, I'll read it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. First thing the apostle Paul wants you to know is this, is that, hey, you were dead. Now, to somebody who's been walking with Jesus for a while, this concept of dead doesn't really conjure up any emotion within us because we've heard this before. Yeah, I understand that I was dead in my sin, but Jesus is good. But for the new person who just started walking with Jesus, Mike, what do you mean I'm dead? Like, what, what do you mean I'm dead in my sin? Like, my heart's beating. I'm breathing. I'm walking. What, what, do you mean that, what, what do you mean that I'm dead? I'm not dead. I'm very much alive. But no, Apostle Paul, he's very intentional. He wants you to know, no, in fact, you were dead. Can I take a pause right there and just say this, that the Christian message, it's not about a God who died on the cross to take us from good to great. He did not come to earth to make us bad to better. In fact, what the Christian message is this, is that we serve a God who came to earth to make the dead alive, right? Like, we don't have a God who says, hey, by the way, I know that your life is okay, but I came to make you better. Like, I know now you're going to be paying your taxes, and I know that now you're going to be showing up to work on time, and I know that now you're not going to be cursing less. That is not the Christian message. Don't get it twisted. Our God came to make dead people alive. That is what he came to do. Now, now, this is what we got to understand. Like, what does this concept of being dead mean? Because if it doesn't mean physical death, it must mean 
spiritual death. What it means is this, is that before you currently were or you currently are desensitized to the things of God. Meaning that you're living your life in a way where you aren't thinking about God. Where God is not a priority in your life. Where prayer isn't even something that you think about. It means completely desensitized to the things of God. But then Apostle Paul, he goes, hey, if that's not bad enough, I want you to know this. I want you to also know this, that you are following the course of this world. Right, that you are a slave to the culture, or you currently are a slave to the culture. Basically, what this means is that you made holiness look strange, and you made bad look okay. That's why, for, for, that's why it's, it's common thought, like, well, hold on a sec. What, what do you mean that you and your girlfriend are going to wait until you get married to have sex? Like, like, that makes no sense at all. Like, bro, are you sure you don't want to take the car out for a spin? Like, are you sure you don't want to kick the tires and make sure it's okay? Like, are you positive you don't want to just drive it around and make sure that the vehicle works before you pay for it? Like, are you sure, like, you don't want to do this? Like, now, again, like, I understand that we all have sins, we all have shortcomings, we all mess up. But this is just an example of how the culture thinks that, that sin is it's okay and holiness is weird. He says, you're following, you're following, you're a slave to the culture. Oof. Wow. That's bad. And to make matters even worse, can we get worse for a second? This is what he says. He wants you to know, by the way, aside from being dead, aside from following the course of this world, and aside from being a slave to the culture, I want you to know that you were enslaved and controlled by the prince and the power of the air, a.k.a. the devil. Whoa, Mike, come on, man. Yo, hey, you're taking this message way too far. Like, I don't do this church thing, but come on, my life is not controlled by the devil. I, mean, I want you to know this. The devil doesn't just show up in red spandex and a pitchfork and say, hey, you want to go do some bad things together? It's going to be a lot of fun. Like, that, that's not what he does. In fact, what the prince and the power of the air means is this, is that he had the ability to influence and control your thoughts and emotions. Have you ever found yourself in a place doing things that are just contrary to who you are, thinking how in the world did I end up here and how in the world did I end up doing this? It's because your mind was influenced by the devil and you had no idea. Whew, boy, do we need saving. Because Denny says this, he goes, hey, I want you to know you were a slave to the culture. You were dead in your sin. The, the devil was your master. And by the way, I want you to know that because of your sin, you are under God's, you're under God's wrath meaning that you are dead to God. What do you, what do you mean I'm, I'm dead to God? Like, this is weird. Like, I'm currently dead. I, what, what, this, what does this mean? What, what you have to understand about God is this, is that God is just. And because God always acts in consistency with his character, he must always be just. Which means that he cannot look at sin or look at bad things or look at mistake and just wink at them and act like they didn't happen. A punishment must happen. Look at Romans. It says this. For the wages of sin is death. This is what he says. He says, this is who you were. This is who you currently are. And now right now there's some incredible tension being built. As the Ephesians are reading this letter, some of them are probably thinking, thank God I'm saved. But then I'm sure that there's others who are probably thinking, am I saved? Like, like how do I know how do, how do I know that, that I'm 
that I am saved. And, I, and Paul, he's demonstrating crazy emotion here, right? Because he's given a whole bunch of bad news, but then he gives a whole bunch of good news. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and it says this. He says, but God, oh, hold on. but God, Woo! I'm thankful that God butted into my life. I love big butts in the Bible, and I cannot lie. Can, can, I, can I just tell you for a second that I, I'm so happy that it doesn't say but me, but you, but him, but her. Oh, I'm about to start preaching. It says, but God. You know what? You know why we celebrate every Sunday? You know why we do church every Sunday? It's not because I saved myself. It's not because you saved yourself. It's because we have a God who butted into my life and saved my life. But God, being rich in mercy. Oof. You want to know that you are how you're saved? You got to know where you came from. But look at the rest of the verse. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here we go, made us alive together with Christ. Dead people cannot raise themselves from the dead. Only Jesus can do this. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You want to know if you're saved or not. You're saved if, if you know that you're alive. Now, now, how does this process happen? According to this verse, what it says is that the spirit of God comes inside of a man and now makes him alive. This reminds me a lot of Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, they're not going to put it up on a verse on the screens. We're just going to talk about it a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, God creates Adam for the first time. And when God creates Adam, at first, he's lifeless and without breath. But then all of a sudden, the Bible says that the breath of life enters Adam. And when it entered Adam, he was then alive. In Hebrew, breath and spirit are the same exact word, meaning when the spirit of God entered Adam, it raised him up to life. The first thing that happened to Adam is the first thing that happens to us when we become alive is this, is that now, before when I was dead, I was desensitized to sin, but now that I'm alive, I'm sensitized towards God. Like, before I was desensitized to God, but now I'm sensitized towards God towards God. So just like Adam, Adam was not able to have conversation with God. He was able now to live with God and be with God and breathe with God and have a good time with God and have a relationship with God. So just like Adam came to life and now he was able to have a relationship with God, he was now sensitized to God. That's what happens when, when we come alive in Christ. That's why sometimes now we want to pray. Like, I know my life isn't perfect, but the Spirit of God is working within me. Like, I think about God. Like, he's on my mind. How do I know that I'm saved? Well, because I'm, I'm alive. I can't explain what God is doing in my heart, but he's, he's wrecking me on the inside. And for some reason, now I think about him all the time, and it drives me crazy because now my attention is on God. But then now this is the second thing that happens. The second thing that happens is that now Adam is able to live for God. Because a saved life is a changed life. And now all of a sudden, because now we've been made alive in Christ, now we're doing things that we weren't doing before. 
Now for some reason I want to go to church. Now for some reason I want to get in connect group. Now for some reason I want to give and I want to be generous and I want to live and I want to enjoy God and I want to do things I wasn't doing before because he has made us alive. But then the Apostle Paul, he says this, hey, I want you to know that this wasn't of your work. In fact, this was a work that I did. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, he says this. He says, by grace you have been saved. You know you are saved when you have been eternally saved by an eternal grace. I want to define grace for you really quick. It says, grace is the unmerited. There you go. Nope. Grace is this. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. But if this is true, if we were saved by grace, if we were just look at the verse like this, then we, what we would be understanding is this, is that you have been saved by a concept or a definition. But a concept or a definition cannot save anybody. So really what I think is this, is that grace is a lot more than a concept, and grace is a lot more than a definition. In fact, grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. So for example, if you were to be shaking hands with grace, you would be shaking hands with Jesus. If you are getting hugged by grace, that means you're getting hugged by Jesus. If you are holding hands and walking with grace, what that means is that I'm holding hands and I'm walking with Jesus. Now this grace, this God that we're talking about, what we have to understand to get a full concept of how this grace works is that we have to understand that our God, Jesus, is eternal. Revelations verse, chapter 1 verse 8 says this. He says, I am the Alpha which means the beginning, and I am the omega, which means the end. Sometimes when we view eternity as people, we look at my, my, my current position, and I view eternity from this point forward. But God does not view eternity like that. God steps out of time because he created time, and he sees the past, present, and future. Look at the rest of the verse. It says this, I am the Lord who is, who was, and who is to come. This means, this is important, this means this, that God, he, he saved and forgave my past. He saved and forgave my present. And he also saved and forgave my future. Now notice that it says saved, S-A-V-E-D, as if it were past tense. Because for some reason, every time we encounter God, God now begins to label us with these past tense words. He says, you have been accepted. You have been justified. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have been, you've, you've been saved, right? The reason that he wants you to have an understanding of what God has done for your past is because of this. Because if I know that God has forgiven me of my past, that means I can have peace about my present, that also means I can have faith and excitement for my future, right? Because, well, well, what do you mean? Well, he forgave my past. My past no longer haunts me. He's given me a clean slate like my sins have been wiped away. And because right now I'm in the present, life is so good. I know if he forgave me then, he's going to forgive me now. Come on, if life is good now, can you just imagine what God's going to do in the future? My sins have been forgiven. He is a God who has cleaned my past, my present, and my future. Mike, but you don't know what my past looked like, man. I got some skeletons in my closet, dude. Eminem, he was rapping about me. Skeletons in my closet. 
Like, you don't know, man. It's really bad. I was in prison. I cheated on my wife. I cheated on my husband. I stole. I did some things I'm really ashamed of. Relax. His grace is eternal. He's covered the past. But, Mike, you don't know what I'm dealing with right now. Mike, I'm struggling in my mind. You don't know what's going through my mind. I'm lustfully thinking about other people that, I, that I'm not married to. I'm thinking negative thoughts, Mike. Come on, like, like this sin is, is just too big. No. What Jesus did is way bigger than your sin. He has given you peace for your present. But, Mike, what if I mess up in the future? Well, what, what, what if I mess up in the future? Like, my future, I can mess up. No, it's okay. Because he's covered that too. He wants you to know that your future is secure in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says this. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You want to know how you know you've been saved? Because you've been seated with Jesus. This is, this is what some of us, this is what some of us need to do. We need to grab a seat. And we need to take a seat. <sighs> See what this is, this is a position of rest. Why can I rest? Well, because of the work, the work was done. Well, what work? The work that Jesus did on the cross. Well, what work are you talking about that Jesus did on the cross? Well, well, about 2,000 years ago, because we lived an imperfect life, Jesus worked hard to live a perfect life. He encountered temptation just like you and I did, but he lived a, a perfect life. And after he lived a perfect life, he was on mission to save and to seek that which was lost, which is you and me. We're talking about a whole lot of work here. And then when he found people and saved people and loved people, what did he do to prove that is love? You know, I think love is always spoken best with body language. Actions always speak louder than words. So what did he do? He hung up on a cross. And when he hung up on a cross, he was doing all the work that you can never do. That's why Jesus said this. He said, it is finished. The work has been done. So what you got to do is this, is that you just got to grab a seat. You got to chill, fam. Well, what do you mean grab a seat? Well, like, th that's it? Like, that's all I have to, that's all I have to, yeah, that's it. Well, what if I lose my salvation? Like, is it one of those things that, like, if I, if I don't use it, will I lose it type of deal? Like, no. You just rest in the eternal grace of an eternal God who loved you eternally before you even thought of, or you, 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 just, you just rest, and, and then all of a sudden from this position of rest, now you're moved to act. Well, I, because I'm, because I'm resting, Bible says this, you were seated with Jesus. You know what the Christian life is about? You know what being saved is about? It's not about doing for Jesus. It's not about working for Jesus. It's not about praying enough for Jesus. It's about being with Jesus. You know, ever since I've gotten married, my mom calls me at least five to 15 times a day. And sometimes I just tell her, Mom, like, why are you calling me so much? I'm a grown man. <laughs> I'm married. I'm paying bills. Stop calling me. She goes, I'm sorry. I just, I just, I miss you. I, I just want to be with you. Jesus, he, he, 
He just wants to be with you. You know what, what a saved life is? It's a life with Jesus. Right? Like there's lots of theological concepts of heaven and hell, but really what we're talking about here is being saved. It's just, it's just resting in the finished work of the one who loved me, of the one who wants to be with me, Jesus. Now I'm going to conclude like this. Jesus says, you have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Woo! In heavenly places. Well, Mike, how, how can I be seated with Christ if, if I'm alive? I'm not in heaven, player. I'm right here. Like, I ain't dead. I am not D-E-D. I'm, I'm here. I know it's D-E-A-D, but, you know, it's a movie, D-E-D. It's like, like I, I'm, I'm alive. Like, like, I'm good. Like, what do you mean I'm seated with Christ? Well, number one, it says, remember, you got spiritual rest. But number two, what it's saying is this, is that because God has covered your future, he wants you to know that your seat has been RSVP'd for you in heaven. You got a reserved seat. You know, a couple weeks ago, like last week, actually, my wife and I, we went on a marriage retreat with the church. And it was an awesome, awesome, awesome time. I mean, we had an amazing time. You know, but because we worked, we were, we were afraid that we were going to miss the first session of, of the marriage retreat. The marriage retreat was all the way in Naples, and I had to get in this mission. I left work early. I ran to Phil. He took me to Fort Lauderdale to pick up my wife, and then from Fort Lauderdale, we went to Naples, and, and we were just trying to make it on time because we didn't want to miss the first session. And aside from that, a little secret, I called earlier, and I just wanted to say, hey, um, I just want to make sure that our room is ready, it's reserved, like, are we good for when we arrive? The concierge on the phone was like, man, you're so good, you have, you know, your RSVP, you're fine. So we get there, well, on the way there, it's, it's a tragic journey. Like, it is probably the worst road trip I have ever experienced in my life. Like, the first hour was amazing, but then my wife had to use the restroom, and I was getting a little sleepy, so I said, you know what? Let me get myself a Red Bull. So I get out of the car. I run inside to the gas station, the convenience store. And by the way, let me just say, we are in the middle of nowhere. It is the sketchiest, sketchiest. It was called the Mikasuki Truck Stop. It was like, dear Lord, where am I? Someone's going to kill us. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. So I'm inside. I'm taking out my wallet, and, and I'm paying for my Red Bull. My wife is in a trailer outside using a restroom. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a terrible husband. How am I going to let her go to the trailer by herself? I mean, it was crazy. So I, I paid for the Red Bull, and then I run to my car. And as I'm getting ready to open my car, I tell my wife, do you have the car keys? <laughs> yeah, it's what I thought. And she goes, no, I don't have. She goes, we locked the car keys inside of the car. I felt like the biggest loser on the face of the planet. I'm like, babe, I'm so sorry that I did this. Like, I apologize. Like, will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She goes, it's fine. So for an hour, I'm on the phone with the insurance company with Geico. Shout out to Geico. They're awesome. And I was on the phone with Geico. And he said, hey, yeah, we can send you a tow truck. Where are you? We said, we're at the Mikasuki truck stop. He goes, you guys are 50 miles away from the nearest locksmith or from the nearest tow truck driver. There's no way that we can send anybody to you. So I'm on the phone for an hour. God said help. And nothing was happening. Eventually, I look across the street, and there's this little tiny, tiny trailer on it. And it says, Mikasuki Police Station. And I said, okay. So I run across the street. My wife is in heels. Trucks are driving everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's a just tragic show. Es una novela. La cosa está loca. And then we're, we're, we're running across the street. 
And then I begged the police officer, please help us get outside of the car. We locked our keys in the car. Help us break into our car. He goes, fine. He helps us out. And we take off to Naples. And when we take off to Naples, we get there and we are, we're sad. Because once we get to the retreat, we realize that we missed the first session of the retreat. So I was like, okay, it's okay. It's fine, babe. I'm sorry. I'm a terrible husband. We walked to the concierge. I'm like, sir, um, hey, we called earlier. Is our room okay? I know we showed up a little late. Is our room okay? He's a, he's a preserve. He goes, sir, I'm, I'm sorry, but your room, it's no longer available. <sighs> I looked at my wife and I said, babe, I'm so sorry. I'm a terrible husband. You deserve better. Um, and then he goes, but sir, this is a concierge, but sir, I want you to know. I want you to know that your seat, that your, not your seat, that your room, because you're one of our RSVP guests, we're going to find a room for you. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm the man. But then he says this, he goes, by the way, because of your trouble, at no cost, I just want to let you know that we are going to upgrade you to a villa. <laughs> I looked at my wife and I said, there is a God. Come on, I don't know what your journey has looked like. It might have been difficult. You may have locked your keys in a car, but I want you to know that your seat is reserved in heaven. Come on, stand to your feet. Now imagine what your life would look like. Imagine what your life would look like if you knew that my eternity was secure. If you knew that I was going to heaven, if, if you knew that I was signed, sealed, and delivered, I am going to heaven. Imagine if you knew what your life would look like. But can I tell you, today you don't have to imagine anymore. Today you can put your eternity in the hands of a God who created your life. And you can be with your Savior. And you can know that he loves you. Well, how do I do this? In the book of John, it says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead that you shall be saved that's it that's step one all you got to do is say Mike I don't want to imagine anymore that's the life that I want to live right now so what I'm going to do in a second I'm just going to ask everybody in the church in a second to bow our heads and close our eyes and then I'm going to count to three and if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, if you want to make a decision to make sure that your eternity is secure, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand wherever you're at. I'm going to see your hand, acknowledge it, then you can put it right back down. So I'll come on, all of us together, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Come on, if you want to make that decision this, this morning to follow Jesus, to make sure that your eternity is secure, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Come on, don't wait until it's too late. The Bible says that he loves you. Come on, that's number two. Number three, come on. If you want to make a relationship with Jesus, just lift up your hand wherever you're at right now just so I can see you. I'm going to acknowledge you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. 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 God bless you in the back. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, is there anybody else? Come on, you want to put your hand up. God bless you. God bless you. Good decision. Come on, anybody else? Come on, one more second. Anybody else? You just want to make sure that your eternity is secure. God bless you. I see you in the back. Amen. Amen. So this is what we're going to do. What we're going to do is it's, it's very simple. I'm just going to lead everybody in a prayer. But I want you to know that this prayer, it's not between me and you. It's, it's between you and God. 
And what's happening right now is it, it's an exchange of eternity. It's an exchange of life. As you begin to confess, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want to live my life for you. Your eternity, no matter though, no matter if your life is perfect or imperfect, your eternity will be secure. So as a church, all together, can we repeat this and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and for your love. Lord, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And thank you for dying for me on the cross. I believe that three days later, you resurrected from the grave. Be my friend, be my savior, and be my God. And it's in Jesus' name all of God's people said, Amen. come on, can we put our hands together?